0: Scripture reading this morning comes from Joshua chapter 20. We're going to pick up back in our sermon series in the book of Joshua. We're nearing the end. We have a few more weeks to go. Uh, But this morning we're going to be in Joshua chapter 20. So if you want to follow along with me, there's a Bible in the pew in front of you there. Or you could use your Bible app or maybe you brought your own. Um, But I encourage you to, to have Scripture out this morning. Joshua chapter 20, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Say to the people of Israel, appoint the cities of refuge of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the manslayer who strikes any person without intent or unknowingly may flee there. They shall be for you a refuge from the avenger of blood. He shall flee to one of these cities and shall stand at the entrance of the gate of the city. And explain his case to the elders of that city. Then they shall take him into the city and give him a place, and he shall remain with them. And if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not give up the manslayer into his hand, because he struck his neighbor unknowingly, and he did not hate him in the past. And he shall remain in that city until he has stood before the congregation for judgment. Until the death of him who is high priest at the time, then the manslayer may return to his own town and his own home, to the town from which he fled. So they set apart Kedesh in Galilee, in the hill country of Naphtali, and Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim, and Kirith Arba, that is Hebron, in the hill country of Judah, and beyond the Jordan, east of Jericho, they appointed Bezer, in the wilderness of the tableland. From the tribe of Reuben and Ramoth and Gilead, and from the tribe of Gad, and Golan and Bashan, from the tribe of Manasseh. These were the cities designated for all the people of Israel and for the stranger sojourning among them. That anyone who killed a person without intent could flee there, so that he might not die by the hand of the avenger of blood, till he stood before the congregation." May God bless the reading of His Word. What do you all think about that? City of Refuge. Cities of Refuge. You may be thinking, okay, Ron, where are you going to go with this one you know, today? Well, that's the beauty of, of preaching through books of the Bible. If you've ever noticed, you know, when you preach through a book of the Bible, uh, you do not dictate the content. You just go straight through and you teach... God's Word, the way He has laid it out. And so that's one reason why most often than not, uh, more often than not, I preach through the books of the Bible. Uh, that way I can't just pick and choose what I want to preach on. Uh, so this, therefore, this morning, we're talking about cities of refuge. And so, uh, <clears throat> but it, it's really interesting, I think you're going to actually benefit greatly from this, but I want to take you to three different islands this morning as we walk through this passage, okay? We're going to go on. A trip to three different islands. Uh, the first island is going to be Old Testament Israel, as described in Joshua chapter 20. Then the second island we're going to travel over to is the island of biblical truth that is applicable both to Old Testament Israel as well as to, uh, to those uh, of us today who are in Christ, the people of God today. And then the third island is the application. Like, how do we apply this biblical truth today in our lives? And so let's get in the boat, and let's head over to the first island. And on this first island, we discover the people of God, the people of Israel, as described in chapter 20 of Joshua. And on this island, we're going to figure out how the city of refuge works, okay? And so, you know, God gave the people of Israel... Laws to govern the community, to govern the nation. And the most well-known of these laws are the Ten Commandments, right? Ten Commandments. Well, one of those commandments, the Sixth Commandment, specifically says, you shall not kill unlawfully. Or you may have heard it translated as, you shall not murder. And, you know, by both then and now, there are many ways a person can die by the hand of another. But the Sixth Commandment specifically deals with the unlawful killing of another person. Now you may say, well, Ron, is not all-killing unlawful? Well, as you read through the Scripture, you find there's actually instances where uh, there are lawful killings. For example, in the midst of war. You see in the Old Testament, people aren't uh, prosecuted because of death and war, uh, pending what we would say today is a just war. But also, too... If it's a just order of the court. So for example in the Old Testament. uh, You know if you killed someone intentionally. Then the punishment for that is for you to lose your life. And so that was a just killing. And so the sixth commandment is not saying that all killing is wrong actually. Uh, But there are some instances where that is an appropriate punishment. But what the sixth commandment deals with is the unlawful killing of another person. And there's basically two categories of that unlawful killing. One is the intentional killing of another person. What you think of as murder. Uh, but there's also uh, another category, which is the unintentional killing of another person. The accidental death of someone. It's still unlawful. I mean, still the, the Sixth Commandment still prohibits that uh, because obviously you don't want to see anyone die unlawfully, uh, whether it's intentional or not. And so those two categories fall into the Sixth Commandment, And the Sixth Commandment deals um, with those two categories. But the two categories of killing, intentional and accidental, carry with it different consequences. So if you were in Old Testament Israel and you intentionally killed somebody, then the punishment for that would be death. Okay, So you would give your life for the life that you had taken. Uh, But if you accidentally killed someone then the consequence was different. And that's why God implemented this idea of these cities of refuge. And so let me give you an example of um, that actually is used in the book of Deuteronomy to kind of explain the situation, this scenario. And then I'll walk through how the city of refuge works. So Deuteronomy chapter 19, verses 5 through 7, this is what it says. For instance, a man may go into the forest with his neighbor to cut wood. And as he swings his axe to fell a tree, the head may fly off and hit his neighbor and kill him. That man may flee to one of these cities and save his life. Otherwise, the avenger of blood might pursue him in a rage, overtake him if the distance is too great, and kill him even though he is not deserving of death, since he did it to his neighbor without malice aforethought. This is why I command you to set aside for yourselves three cities. And specifically, here he's talking about three cities on the west side of the Jordan. So, you have a person, goes into the woods, cut some wood to cut some trees down with a neighbor. As he's swinging his axe, the axe, head, the axe head flies off, hits his neighbor, kills him. Well, the neighbor didn't mean for that to happen. He didn't want that to happen. It just one of those things that happens. It's an accident. It didn't, he didn't intend for that to happen. Now, if he was intentional about killing his neighbor... Then what you would have is the consequence would be, well, if you killed someone intentionally, then your life should be taken. And the one who would take your life would be this person called the Avenger of Blood. Now, don't think about the end game, the, the movie's out, you know, Avengers. Okay, get, get back on track. At least all of you who are into that. Some of y'all are thinking, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, just stick with me. Avenger of Blood. This is the person, uh, who, a close relative of the one who was killed, They're going to avenge the blood. They're going to bring about justice uh, against the, the killer. And so if it was intentional, the avenger of blood had a right to kill the person who had killed their relative. However, if your relative was killed accidentally, I mean, you still are feeling that same, you know, sense of loss and grief. And so you still may want to strike out against the person who killed your relative accidentally. And God knows that. And so that's why He's made this provision. And so let's say that was you. You were out cutting down a tree. And your axe head flies off, kills your neighbor. And then your neighbor's family members coming after you. Well, what are you going to do? Well, you're going to go to a city of refuge. And the city of refuge was a walled city. And the way you would enter this city would be through the gate. And at the gate, you would have the elders who were sitting at the gate. And the elders were kind of like our modern day judges. They would hear different cases and rule based on God's law. And so they would have these uh, elders at the gate. And so you would come to the gate and you say, okay, I was, out, I was in the woods, I was cutting down a tree, the axe head flew off, killed my neighbor. His relative is after me. Please let me in the city of refuge, right? Elders would hear the case. If it sounds legitimate, if it meets the criteria, they would let you in the city and provide you a place there. And then the avenger of blood comes up to the city gate and says where's that guy I'm going to kill him and they said no you can't do that and we're not going to turn him over to you uh, because it was accidental. And so that's how the city of refuge works. So you would stay in the city of refuge away from your native home until the high priest died and once the high priest died then you could return back to your home. So that was kind of the structure of how God set up these cities in the land that that Israel conquered uh, to deal with this type of accidental death. And also notice that there were six of those cities. Three on the west side of the Jordan. Three on the east side of the Jordan. So that's the first island. That's how it worked back then. That was the system. So now let's move over to the second island. Let's kind of buzz over in the motorboat and figure out, okay, are there biblical truths, principles that were true of that time that carry over to the people of God no matter when they lived, Okay, what covenant they may be under. And so the second island is the island of biblical truth that applies to the people of God both then and now. And on this island we're going to discover four principles that are true. And the first principle is that God highly values human life. And that's why we have these laws in place in the Old Testament uh, in Israel as a nation. He's putting laws in place to prevent just this vicious cycle of killing, right? Because human life is precious to Him. second principle we see is that God wants His people to be a just people. That's why He gave Israel these different ways of dealing with killing, both intentional and accidental. The third principle is that justice should be accessible to everyone. Did you pick up on that? That's why there are six cities of refuge in the land. Because everybody has access to them. You know, it would be rough for you if there was only one city of refuge and it was in northern Israel and you lived in southern Israel. That's a long way to travel to try to get away from the avenger of blood, right? And he may may be overtaking you at some point and and you would die. And that's why God says, you know what, we need six cities, so no matter where you are in the land, you have access to justice. And we see that principle carried throughout. Justice should be accessible to everyone. And the fourth principle is that truth is more often discovered in the presence of many counselors. You notice... uh, how the person would approach the city of refuge, they would go and talk to the elders. There would be a plurality group there, a community of people who would rule, uh, pass a verdict or judgment, and they would present their case, and then they would be allowed in, and then Joshua says, then they would stand before the congregation, and a verdict would be reached. And so you'd bring in a multitude of counselors to render a just verdict, to get to the truth of the matter. So those are four principles we see on this island. Uh, that carry over from both the Old Testament and the New. They're true of God's people at all times. And so now let's move to that third and final island where we think about, okay, how do we apply that principle to us? I mean, should we, like, build little cities of refuge in Augusta or something? Or how would that work? Well, let's look at them one by one. First, if God highly values human life, then we should highly value human life, right? It's like Dr. Seuss once said, you know, a person is a person no matter how small, right? It's A person is a person no matter how small. There's value in a person because they're made in the image of God. So it doesn't matter how big or small they are, what they look like, where they come from. If you are a person, if you are a human being, you are made in the image of God. And therefore, we should value you regardless of who you are, where you come from, what you look like. Because you you... Bear the image of the Creator. So if God values life, we should value life as well. And that's why we should treat one another justly and not unjustly. That's why we should not let things pass. If, if someone wrongs someone, there should be accountability. Because this is an image bearer of God. You can't just do whatever you want with an image bearer of God. There should be accountability. So we should seek justice. And as the church, too, you know, this is one of the reasons, because we value people, yes, we want to pursue justice, and we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But, you know, the ultimate good of a person is for them to know God, right? One of the, one of the most, um, I guess, beneficial ways you can show love to someone is to introduce them to Jesus Christ. And so as the church, we're concerned with how people are treated, and we're going to talk about that in just a second. But we're also concerned with where they stand with the Lord. Because we know that life in its fullness can be found in Christ. And so the most loving thing we can do is, is help people come to know Christ. And so, we as a church, we, are, we, we should be very concerned with how people are treated. Both in the church and outside the church. Wherever you have image bearers of God. Because of our love for people. And we also uh, should introduce them to Jesus Christ. Where they can become fully who God wants them to be. So we should value human life because God Himself values life. Now the second principle we see is that God wants His people to be a just people. That was true of Israel and that's true for us today. You know, when our children were younger, kids, you may remember this, but when they were much younger, you know, you would see the wheels turning in their minds when they were about to make a decision. Specifically when they were tempted to do something they weren't supposed to be doing. So the wheels would be turning, right? They, they were processing, should I do this or not? And then we would tell them, choose righteousness. You guys remember that? Choose righteousness. we tell our kids, choose righteousness. Choose what's right. And the reason we did that is because we believe God wants us to be a righteous people, a just people. We, he wants us to choose what is good, right, and true. And that's one of the prayers I still pray with my children. God, help them to choose what is good, right, and true. Because God wants us to pursue what is good, right, and true. Well, how do we know what is good, right, and true? Well, the only way to know what is good, right, and true is to know God and His Word. I mean, that's how we fully understand the concepts of righteousness truthfulness goodness is to know God the one who made us and created us Uh, and to know his word that speaks truth and will always uh, be in play so we need to choose what's good and right and the way we know what's good and right is to know God you know the psalmist wrote these words in Psalm 119 verse 1 he said blessed are those whose ways are blameless So they're pursuing what is good, right, and true, who walk according to the law of the Lord. So God speaks His Word. His Word is true because He is true. His Word is right because He is right. Uh, His Word is good because He is good. And so if we want to walk in righteousness, goodness, and truth, we need to walk according to His Word. So what that means for you and for me is we must submit our judgments and our morality to the Word of God. That's you know, The degree that we align our judgments and our morality to the Word of God is to the degree that we are pursuing what is good, right, and true. And so we need to submit our ideas of justice and goodness and truthfulness to the Word of God if we're going to pursue justice. And this includes how we handle conflict with one another within the church, but also extends into our community, into our city, into our country, even to the world. You know, when you see injustice, it should bother you. It should bother you. If you see injustice, and what I mean by that is, I guess simply put, injustice is when someone does something wrong to someone else and they're not held accountable. They just bypass it. They they just look the other way. That's injustice. And so, uh, this happens within the church. You know, over the past few years, you've seen reports come out um, about the Roman Catholic church, church and the abuse of children. But you've also seen, just a few months ago, a report come out uh, from a paper in Texas where there were several Southern Baptist churches that were guilty of mishandling child, child abuse. And that should bother you. And that should bother me. If we see that happening, we should be compelled to act to remedy injustice within the church. But also in the city, in our city in Augusta. When you see injustice, it doesn't matter if the person is a Christian or not. Because justice is not reserved for the Christian or the non-Christian. It's not reserved the person of a certain color skin or economic background or or religion. right? We want to pursue justice for all because every person is made in the image of God. So even as a Christian when we look outside the church and we see injustice, people being treated unfairly, that should bother you. And that should bother me. And it should bother us I say bother, really (laughs) another word for bother is anger. It should anger us. But reason I use bother is because I don't want you to slip into this idea of uh, revengeful anger, but rather an anger or a um, discontentment, an irritability that causes us to, to act and to address the injustice and, and hopefully to guide you to help make laws and implement structures and policies in place to not only uh, remedy the injustice, but restrain injustice And give people a clear path to justice. Whether they're in the church or outside the church. You know, inside the church, you know, if you all, for example, uh, traditionally how it has uh, been applied, especially in the church, is one way that uh, conflict or even instances of injustice have been handled is through the deacons and the pastors. You bring these issues to the deacons, to the pastors, and then they try to remedy the situation, get to the bottom of it, figure out what's happening, and see if there can be some remedy there, whether it's a small conflict or a large issue. You know, in our country, we have um, we don't have deacons and pastors, obviously, but we have law enforcement and a judicial process. And what we want to do is we want to speak into that so that it is just. and It provides Clear pathways to justice for all people, not just for the rich, not just for a person of a certain skin color or whatever it may be, but everyone has a clear pathway to justice. And justice is uh, uh, accessible, which is the third principle. The third principle is that justice should be accessible to everyone. We saw it with the cities of refuge, I love that idea of the six cities, that we want justice to be accessible to everyone as many people as possible, if not everyone. And that should be our motivation here in the church too, as well as in our city, wherever we may live, that we want accessibility uh, to justice. The fourth principle is that truth is more often discovered in the presence of many counselors. And in the church, you see this principle um, unpacked by Jesus in Matthew 18. Jesus says... You know, if someone sins against you, then you need to go to that person. But if that person does not repent, then you need to take it to another person, bring another person with you to that person. And if that person still doesn't repent, then you bring it before the church. And so you just see this principle of, okay, if you can't get resolution, let's bring in more people to try to get to the truth, try to get to the issue. And so that's how it unpacks itself in the church and also in, the, uh, in our city, in our country, for example, uh, we have a similar system in place in that uh, you have a plurality of counselors. You know, even at different levels of the judicial process, you have some courts that have multiple judges that rule on a case. And then you also have the jury trials, for example. The whole concept there is let's bring in a multitude of counselors. So you bring in citizens to hear a case and they render a verdict. You know, even our highest court in our land, the Supreme Court, has nine justices. And in order to rule, they must be in majority uh, to bring down a verdict. So truth is often discovered in the presence of many counselors. So if you want to know what the right thing to do is, a wise move is to you know, bring in other people and get some counsel from those who are walking with the Lord. Uh, Proverbs 11.14 says this, Where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. So truth is often discovered in the presence of many counselors. So here are the four principles that uh, we're in practice on that first island, but also can be put in practice today, that God highly values life. We are to be a just people, uh, that justice should be accessible to everyone, and that truth is often discovered and found in the presence of many counselors. Now there's one more point I wanted to share with you from this passage. That I think is, is pretty interesting. With this city of refuge. You know the people of Israel were represented before God by the high priest. Okay, he was their representative before God. And what's interesting is that what Joshua tells us in this passage is that if you killed someone accidentally, then you could run to a city of refuge where you would be sheltered. Okay. However, you needed to stay in that city of refuge until the high priest died. In other words, you, had to, you were running from your home, your family, and you were going into the city of refuge, and you had to stay there if you wanted that protection until the high priest died. Now, can you imagine, like the high priest, you know, he just becomes the high priest, he's like 30 or something, and this happens, you're like, oh man, this high priest is 30 years old, he's going to live like 40 years, I'm going to be in the city of refuge. But, uh, so it's interesting, uh, this is the marker, it's not like, okay, stay there five years, or stay there two years, but no, you stay there until the high priest dies. And isn't that interesting? I mean, why would you have to stay there until the high priest dies? Uh, why, would, why wouldn't there be some other criteria Well, some scholars believe that the reason you had to wait until the death of the high priest was that his death became a substitute for the death of the killer. So the person that is in the city of refuge, when the high priest dies, his death was seen as a substitute for the killer. Because he was the representative. And so his death would satisfy the avenger of blood. So the killer's sin would be paid for. Which is an interesting uh, perspective. And this ties into the idea that the high priest was representing the people of Israel in that time. So the question is, well, what uh, what about those who not only accidentally commit sin, but also intentionally commit sin? You know, what about us today? I mean, how does, that, how does that work? What about those of us who are guilty? You know, where, where, do, where do we run? Where is our city of refuge? Where can we go? Well, Hebrews 9 tells us that Jesus is our high priest. And we read that through His death, our sin is paid for. Both the sins that we committed accidentally, but also the sins that we committed Intentionally. Hebrews nine twenty eight says, So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So Jesus is this unique high priest, the greater high priest, in that in his sacrifice, he accomplished more for us than just allowing us to go back home. But he took on the penalty of all our sin, and he brought about freedom and eternal salvation. So the price has been paid, and freedom and life have been given. So for the Christian, you know, yes, let's value life, let's seek justice, let's pursue truth. But know this, that the only way that you can be freed from the guilt and penalty of your sin before God is to run to Christ by faith, who is our ultimate city of refuge. Let us pray. Father, thank You for these laws in the Old Testament that teach us so much about Your character and Your uh, instruction for Your people. Lord, thank You that we can think about even how can we apply these truths today that carry over into the New Covenant. Lord, help us to value people like You value them. Help us to pursue justice. That people would be treated rightly, lovingly, justly. Lord, help us to make a justice accessible to everyone, both in the church and outside the church. And Lord, help us to bring in those around us to help us seek what's true and remedy injustice. And God, we are so thankful for Jesus who is our high priest who through His death not only freed those who were in the cities of refuge for that time period, but who frees everyone who places their faith in Him forever. And we are so grateful for that price and for that gift. And Lord, I pray even today as we leave this place, God, would You guide us into truth? Would You help us to know how to best pursue justice individually, but also as a church, as well as a community, as a city? That You would be glorified.